Welcome to the Mindful Salon Jedi podcast. This podcast delves deeper into the foundation of building your salon business through mindset mastery. Your salon growth starts with you. I'm your host, Caroline Sanderson, the Salon Jedi. I help salon owners just like you transform into salon Jedi masters of your own salon business. I help you work less on the tools to work smarter, not harder, so you can confidently lead your team, if you have one, into high performers for more profits and more freedom. Today I am delighted to be joined by Howard Lynn. Now, you're award-winning, Howard, aren't you? And you are a Fortune 500 business and branding expert with over 30 years experience, generated billions for your clients, companies such as Apple, Honda, Disney, DreamWorks, Miramax, the list goes on and on and on. (laughs) So welcome. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me on your show. And you're in California, is that right? Yep, California and Los Angeles. Okay, good. Okay, so what we want to talk about, so welcome to Salon Jedi, the world of uh, salon owners. And we've got loads of questions for you today. So people have already sent in questions for us. But the first thing I wanted to ask Howard was, how did you end up getting into branding? Why branding? So we just want to know a little bit more about you and how you got into it. Yeah, so when I was in school, I studied advertising, computer science, and um, design, graphic design were my focus. And at the time, this is back in 83, graphic design wasn't even considered a major just yet. It was applied art and design. And the time that I finished all my schooling and I started to represent Fortune 500s, they didn't even have a category called branding. But I was starting to realize what I was, I used to call it image marketing. So it was a step beyond graphic design. And as I got more involved with the bigger companies, I realized that it was really what I was doing was building brands before branding became a term in 2000, 2010. So this is in the nineties. And um, what I started to realize that I realized that graphic design, advertising and marketing was not enough for companies to stay ahead as more companies were entering the market and more products and more services, graphic design advertising was not going to be enough to differentiate a company. So that's what led me into really understanding what really is branding and led to a new category, which is called branding. And I helped lead that category uh, 25 years ago is when I started speaking about branding before, again, it became a popular term. Okay, and that leads me nicely into what is branding? What is the, you know, what is the difference between branding, marketing, and what exactly, how would you, you know, describe it, roll it up in one? How would you describe branding? And what's the difference between branding and marketing, if there is one? Oh, there's lots of differences. So, so branding is really about how are you going to differentiate in a consumer's mind, your customer's or prospect's mind? Um, in fact, it could be as, as broad as because we do B and G, how are you going to get in the mind of the citizens as well? Like, how do you want them to think about your product and service that's consistent and creates one story, one you look and feel in their mind? Okay. So advertising, PR, graphic design, social media, those are all parts that make up the whole 
But if they're only looked at as individual pieces, unfortunately, is what I call the simple effect. They're all going to be doing their own thing, not representing the whole. Mm, yeah. So branding's about pulling together all the parts. So then everything's identifying who you are as a company, product, or service. Yeah, you talk a lot about that, about consistency. I've had the pleasure of having some consultations with you. You talk a lot about consistency in the brand. Now, why does that make a difference in the customer's mind and their psychology? Why is it that a brand is stronger when all those things come together as a whole? What difference does it make that it's all aligned with the, the, the brand? Yeah, so there's different parts to brand. There's called the brand image and the brand identity. The identity is when there's consistency, it's easy to recognize in the mind of the consumer. So let me just take a quick example. Like, you know, let's just say Ferraris, that they have a very distinctive look, even though they have different models. People can identify the Ferrari because of the repetition of the shape, even though there's subtleties of different models. And that could be the same with like, let's say BMW, okay? So what happens is that it's, it's, it's a faster recall in the mind of the consumer. It's a faster recall, because what you're doing is you're building a stronger billboard in the mind of the consumer to recall who you are, what you look like, and what you stand for. Hmm. So a brand mark, do you mean a brand logo? Or is, that, is there a difference between the mark and the logo or the, the brand name? As the logo is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we create a whole new category, which we call brand marks. So the logo, a lot of times people like, you know, they get their family member to design it or use Fiverr or 99design. But the problem is that a logo may look pretty to a certain degree, but it misses out an opportunity to increase the value of the company over time. In other words, whether that's the first thing. The second thing is a lot of times it can't be reproduced in different situations or different scenarios. So a lot of times logos, a lot of times they don't, they, they may look really pretty, but then again, they're so convoluted that if you reduce them size of the dime, they'll look like mud because they're too detailed rather than being symbolic and allowing the company to actually take on a meaning that you create within it. And another thing, too, is that a lot of times logos are not trademarkable because they look too similar to another company. So therefore, you will look like another company. So logo, if it's done right, it should be really a, what I call brand mark, which becomes the face and symbolizes the company. In other words, like the Nike swoosh, it, it's very clear and it differentiates from all the other brands like Adidas and all, Puma, all the other brands that are out there. But the consumer can, again, have instant recall because it's simple, it's bold, and it's unique. It's simple, it's bold, and unique. Those are some of the three biggest attributes that really starts to differentiate it. The other thing, too, is that now that it, it's simple and it's bold and it differentiates, it could float in different medias and, and still be rec highly recognizable and still distinguish itself from other logos. Okay, so, so what are some of the things that a sal let's say a salon owner, because I know that you've sometimes worked with smaller businesses as well and entrepreneurs, etc. So what are some of the things that a salon owner really needs to think about then that needs to stay consistent? So, for example, like 
would it dilute their brand and their message if, for example, their social media, you know, all their platforms weren't matching with the brand? And then, of course, you've got your marketing materials that might be slightly different. And then your website is still got maybe a logo or a brand mark on it, but the colors aren't right and they're all different fonts, etc. Does that actually dilute your brand? How important is that? Is that what you mean by consistency is every single platform and every material has to be um aligned if you like exactly so what happens is and the branding happens regardless you're aware of it or not mm. you're building a brand in the mind of the consumer right now the question is are you doing it that actually builds more value to your company or actually devalue the company okay yeah doesn't matter if you're a small company or a fortune 500 company doesn't matter if you're b2b b2c or b2g you as long as you're communicating to a prospect, you are creating an image in their mind. It's a question, are you doing it strategically for them to, for them to have instant recall how you want them to think of you? So bringing you back to that question, you're absolutely right. If your social media of what you're communicating to your audience is inconsistent to how you speak to your customers or let's say an ad or let's say on a website, you're actually then look at what I call the Sybil effect. You'll look like hundreds of different brands rather than one unified brand. And what does that mean? You just lost market share because people are confused of who you are, what you stand for. Yeah. I, I, so when when we spoke before and you talked about having a brand book that had, you know, you, your colors and, you know, a certain amount of fonts and you would always use those fonts across your marketing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? For example, um, is there a set amount of fonts you should have? Is there a set amount of colors? You know, is there a maximum you should have, etc.? Can you give us a little bit of information, any tips around that for the salon owners listening? So the first thing is to really recognize is that before moving into the identity is going through a strategy of how you want to be positioned. Okay. So what that means is like, what are you doing uniquely versus everyone else? There's probably a process that you're doing uniquely than everybody else. And you want to start to capitalize on that. So you got to first look at from the inside of the company first before addressing the outside. You got to figure out what is it that's unique about you? What is it that's unique about your business model? And who do you really truly want to reach? Okay. So you really need to look at your philosophy. You need to look at what is it that you're going to promise your consumers? Okay. What is it that you're going to look at that differentiates you from your competition? So what I like doing is like, okay, if you're saying X and everyone else is doing Y, well, then you need to really amplify the X part of your business because when you start to differentiate yourself, you start to become more memorable. But you first have to figure out the first part of the equation is your strategy. What's truly going to make you unique and how you're going to build on that system. Now, the second part to this, you're right, is the identity. And you're right. When it comes to like looking at color, Again, looking at your competition, and let's say most of your competition is using green. Well, maybe you should be using an opposing color so you stand out. Coca-Cola owns red, Pepsi owns blue, right? Those are all strategy, okay? And there's a reason for that is because without, with this field of this crowded space with products and services, you need to use 
as many senses to gauge the senses as possible, visually, auditorial, and even the senses. So that means even like how you even set up your, your salon, like what is it that's gonna make it unique? Are you gonna have certain images that reflect the value of your company inside? Is it gonna be that a way that people are addressed when you first walk in by let's say a concierge service? Is the outside a bit business and have a unique signage? Like I'm just making this like neon sign where everybody has just a two dimensional sign. So all these different aspects make a huge difference. When it comes to fonts, you're right. You want to use a font that usually you usually want to use at least a, a, a font family that could be different weights, like a headline font. Okay. It could be all like just making this up. Let's say that you're using, you know, Futura, right? You can use Futura bold condensed for the headline. You can use bold, just regular bold for the subhead and then light for the copy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you want to have the eye move in a certain rhythm, but you also want to own that font to represent your company. Apple's is Garamond. It's 90% condensed. They use it for all their advertising, all their billboard, and all their packaging. I bet you anything, if you just saw their font without having their logo on it, you could still identify that it's Apple. That's interesting. So what you're saying then really is this goes a lot deeper than just how something looks and it's just aesthetics. This is, for example, um, you know, I teach a lot about having core values in the business. So it goes deeper into your core values. So let's say, for example, we have uh, some of the salon owners on tonight, actually, that are watching. Say, for example, one of their core values is um, it's all organic and ethical and natural, etc. So could they then, you know, they're looking for their brand image to match this ethos. So they're looking for more natural colors and they're looking for colors that are more about relaxation and Zen. And is that what you mean? So it, it's going that little bit deeper that you're really researching every part of it. Color has a psychology to it and there's a science behind it. When I was in school, I actually studied for eight years because it's there's all these little subtleties, what's called the hue, then the value, then the intensity, a chroma, da da da, da the list goes on, CMYK versus RGB versus Pantone. It all adds up. It all has it all makes a difference on the subconscious level for someone to choose you versus another company of how it evokes an emotional response and speaks to you. Okay. And you're right. You want to choose colors that actually match in the essence of the value system. So let's say that you're saying, hey, you know what? We're really friendly. Well, you should maybe consider earth tones because earth tones are more approachable. Or let's just say we're really high end and expensive. Maybe you should be thinking of midnight blue or black. Okay. These all evoke an emotional response that starts to build that image in the mind of the consumer of your identity. Okay. So you're mm -hmm. right. Now here's a tricky part. This is say that because a green space is very heavily impacted, right? Yeah. So let's just say there's a lot of companies that are using a lot of like natural colors, earth tone, what are called earth tone colors, a lot of earth tone colors. You can then, what you want to do too, is you want to own a color in your space. And if someone owns that color, it could be that you have a secondary color that complements that primary color that still signifies that that's you. The question mm -hmm. becomes, are you going to utilize that, those two colors 
throughout all the ways you can communicate your brand, your website, your social media, your packaging, your signage. So yes, you want to first exactly what you just said. You want to look at the inside of your company first, like your values, your philosophy, your vision. And then you want to look at, well, what kind of personality do we want to create from that, that people can resonate with that fits within who we believe who we are. Okay, and um, you know, I know from experience, and I know uh, myself opening a, a small business, and I know from experience coaching salon owners all over the world that often that is not the case. So we just open the doors because we are good at what we do, we're good at doing hair or beauty, whatever it is, and we don't think about that. And like you say, uh, we get someone to just design us a logo, and you know, the best we do is maybe we if if we're sort of quite good <laughs> we accidentally match up the colors anyway in our branding so if we've already built up a bit of a reputation is it is it too late to rebrand or is it ever too late to rebrand or is it harmful to rebrand if you've already built a bit of a reputation or, or what would your advice be on that or when does a when does a business know that it's definitely time to rebrand as well. yeah, so as you know, I do the assessment to see where the company is and where do you want to go and then look at the gap. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times on a scale to one to 10, every company I've ever come across, no matter how big they are, even billion dollar companies, they'll, they, they reach a lid and you don't know why they've reached that lid, why there's a cap to their growth. But every single time is their value. First of all, their value propositions off and they've outgrown they've outgrown their identity. In other words, you, a lot of companies that I see, they have like a junior, a grade school look, junior high school, a high school look, a college look, or a pro look, right? A pro league. Most of them are in high school, quite honestly, um, because unfortunately the vendors that they've been hiring don't understand branding. They're doing graphic design, they're doing advertising, they're doing marketing, but they're not looking at it from a deeper level that actually requires a lot more deeper thinking so they're only re able to reach, and I don't care how much money they've made, but they're going to reach a they're going to reach a lid of growth. So the first thing is identifying where they're at and what is that gap that need they need to fulfill on. So let's say on a scale of ten, okay, if there are six or seven, at least they can identify from the baseline of where they're at, and then identify where they want to go. Eight, nine, and ten and then look at what are they doing wrong? What is their blind spots that they don't see, okay? Yeah. And then what is it that they could do to reposition themselves? So in other words, it's more, much more dangerous to keep the brand the way it is because again, it's only gonna get you so far. And every company that we've rebranded, okay, they've able to reach way beyond they thought was possible in their market share because now they're actually taking the lid off. And now, honestly, they're reaching their potential. Their potential has been stopped at a 20% at most. Yeah. I mean, I just find that so fascinating. Some of your stories of how you have, you know, taken a company that's got stagnant or got stuck. And then through rebranding, it's just, it's just gone. It's, it's crazy to think like, you know, I've never really thought about it like that. You know, we all know it's important as business owners, etc. But I've never really thought, you know, it's not the first thing we think of as I'm feeling stuck. Uh, my company isn't growing. I must re I must look at rebranding. <laughs> it's not something that we would maybe first think about as salon owners. Exactly. We should really be thinking about that. 
Exactly, because the reason being, branding is the most understood business language and it's the most important. This is what the big Fortune 500 companies understand. This is what makes the stock market move is because of future earnings that are tied into their image as a brand. And it's a cultivation of an orchestration of storytelling and experiences to be able to create that in the mind, the heart of the consumer that they just want to use your brand. So in other words, you could be really good at what you do, but you're only going to get so far because again, your brand is working against you rather than for you. That's the big difference. Yeah, because you also talk as well about adding value to a company and how you add value to the company through branding and through, um, you know, like trademarking and, and copyright, you know, intellectual property, all that kind of stuff as well. That's something that we should all be looking at. Exactly. And quite honestly, you're right. I go beyond branding. I get into the whole business development uh, strategy, you could say, that's combined with branding. And you're right. The intellectual property is a key element that actually adds value to a company that actually is overlooked as well. So in other words, there could be a process of what, like, for example, with you, your company, why you've won so many different awards, right? It's unbelievable, over 100. It's crazy. It's, it's awesome. So that process, you could actually capitalize on it and create a name for it and perhaps even license that idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You see that? So it's like capitalize on it, give it a name, trademark it, hmm. trademark that process, trademark that intellectual process, and that adds value because now if you want to sell your company, there's actually some intellectual property that's built into it for future earnings. And if you look at licensing that technology to other hair salons, that has massive value. So now you're talking about future earnings, not just cutting hair, but a process of way that you do it that you've actually coined as a phrase as well. So there's yeah. a commercial property that's tangible and intangible. That's, I mean, I love that. And it's it's kind of like, I guess that's similar to what I do in a sense of I have packaged up my business model. So my salon business model, and that's what I share with people. So it's like that, and I've got a name for it, and I've got all that kind of stuff. So, but I love the fact that um, even like you say, like the, the, the name of a haircut, the way you do a haircut or or a service, it's like, you know, a browse, you know, you brand the name of it, of, of what you're doing, et cetera, which is what a lot of, um, people are out there are already doing you know that they, they have a way of doing the brows so they turn it into a name and a brand and, and they license the way of doing it out to other people so we should all be thinking a bit more entrepreneurial like that exactly exactly so that's what allows you to have a multiple revenue streams rather than just cutting hair it's just like a lot of people are really super talented i always look at the business model how many different ways can you make money off the way that you're doing something that's unique from others? Yes, perfect. Okay, let me just, so I've got some questions from people as well, just a few comments. So let me just have a little look here, what we got. So um, Anonymous here is saying, every salon in my town is green or muted earth tones. So I went for purple, eggplant purple, I think I would call it, and hot pink. Would love to know what that is saying about us. So they've mainly picked them to stand out from everybody else. So I love that. 
it's it what first of all you you're you're intelligent to find out what everyone else is doing and you're naturally figuring out how do you want to identify identify your have people identify with your brand more uniquely and by the way so to overcome the green space or the natural space you could actually come up with a tagline that suggests that you're in a green space or organic space like you know have your purple and hot pink and then you know in the company name and then in the tagline saying everything organic i'm just making that up so then it actually helps support what space you're in so then you don't lose any customers but at the same time that you're identified st more strongly because you look unique so that's how i do it so there's there's different there's different attributes okay to identify a company the look okay visual and the written word okay and then the other components come in when perhaps they enter the space like say music the auditorial or maybe what you use on your website to set suggesting the environment so you want to engulf in my opinion you want to engulf the consumer with the five senses the most you can because that's how you're going to be more recognizable and distinguished so when someone hears your music for example and is really unique they'll identify that purple they'll identify that purple and that pink with again your brand as well with the music yeah so that's even especially it's like in beauty salons as well so when you come in and you smell that kind of spa smell exactly. Exactly. rather than just having that like literally choose the smell that is recognizable to your brand exactly and that brings up a good point so like in most hair salons there's a lot of dyes that happens a lot of chemicals if it's a chemical place right if it's organic, the cool thing is that you could get probably design some misters that are doing like lavender. I'm just making this up right now, but that would be pretty cool because then you're identified as like a lavender place going in. And it happens on a subconscious level, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, no, it's good. Okay, so that brings me to a few questions that I have that have been sent to me earlier, actually. You had mentioned about um, the tagline. Yeah. Um, or even, so tagline and brand name, I'm gonna sort of throw this into one question because it's both been asked. Is there a, a, a maximum amount of words that should be in a tagline or in a brand name? I like to have it where it's, when it comes to brand name, it's two words or less, so two or one or two. And okay. then for tag, tagline, I like to have it where it's three words or less than five syllables less than five syllables okay all right and this also brings me as well to personal brand or company brand you must get asked this a lot what's the difference and which one do you choose should they be going after a personal brand or a company brand and, and, and what if somebody is struggling with this at the moment which one to kind of go down what advice could you give them you have to look into the future i've actually had to rebrand a lot of speakers Okay. Well, John Ashroff with Neurogem, right? Yeah. So it's really looking into the future. What do you want to do with your company? Do you want to leave it as a legacy? Do you want to just have it stop when you stop? Do you want to sell it? Do you want to have it acquired? Do you want to do a merger? So it's really looking to the future that helps you decide should it be a personal brand or should it be a corporate brand? Now, here's the other thing too. A lot of people think, oh, if I do a corporate that I'll lose my identity as personal identity and that's not true 
when you create a corporate identity, you could be the protagonist or what I call the ambassador to the brand. So basically the face to the brand, but still separate. Yeah. To the entity like Steve Jobs was synonymous with Apple, right? Right. Okay. Okay. And Richard Branson with Virgin, but it could still live mm -hmm. on. You know, it's more than just them, right? You know, it's an entire firm that's mm -hmm. supporting the vision of the company. And that's the difference. A lot of companies, they think of it just themselves. What happens is, well, your dreams die with you, unfortunately, and it doesn't live on, or it doesn't allow space to have enough people to want to share that space that you're creating. Yeah, so it's like you you, you mentioned there a second ago, John Asaroff. So he is the you know CEO of Neurogym, but he is well known himself as, as the, the, the face of the brand. And like you say, the, the others. Um, is that something that if you, like, let's just say there might be some people that they just are not, they just do not want to be seen. You know, they like to be, hide behind the brand and they don't want to be seen. They're maybe, you know, obviously John is great in front of the camera and, you know, like Richard Branson, he makes a point of, you know, being out there and being seen. Um, and, and more and more people are saying, you know, you have to get out there, you have to be seen, people buy from people they like, they like and trust, etc. You know, is there still a place for a company that, you know, like for us guys, if they want to bring a, build a company and a brand that, you know, you weren't seen and you were still kind of anonymous in the background, is that still something that we can kind of push towards? Because we just keep hearing personal brand, personal brand, personal brand, you know, it's like people only buy of people they know, like, and trust. So how can you get a balance if you don't want to be that person that's the face of the brand? So, yeah. So a lot of people, they don't want to be the face of the brand. And actually a lot of times it's more appropriate that they don't become the face of the brand because exactly what you're saying, they don't have the personality that projects the brand personality is again, it's two separate entities, right? And it's mismatch it's going to be a hiccup to the consumer. So that's when you want to get a spokesperson that represents the brand. Right. Okay. How like you watch the commercials, I'd say with uh, flow for progressive, you know, you don't see the owner of progressive. You see like a character that's represented. Yeah. You see that? Yeah. Okay. So if you're, if there's, if a lot of times, again, you should not be the spokesperson of your own brand. And a lot of times I see these commercials and it's obvious it's the owner and they, it looks terrible. They don't know how, they don't have the right persona to be in front of the camera and it's actually devaluing the brand, Yeah. you know, cause they're trying to muscle their eagle into it rather than what's best for the company. Okay. That brings me nicely, actually talking about devaluing the brand. So we have another question and it's saying, can you use your brand on too many things? So it's literally on everything you see, you know, and touch, you know, your pens, your bags, your logos everywhere, you know? Um, and I was going to ask that as well to, to a sense of, can you devalue your brand if you are trying to be seen in too many places where actually it starts to dilute it because rather than just focusing on maybe i don't know say you know three areas like your website facebook instagram or something like that rather than just and, and then mastering those you're trying to be everywhere but you're not as strong everywhere because it can can it dilute that a bit i mean what would your advice be around that can you devalue your brand because you're trying too hard almost yeah, because you have to have a bigger wallet in a sense to be able to execute through all the different channels that may not be appropriate for you. So yes, 
you a lot of times people go oh i just gotta be in social media i need to be using the latest thing you know like you know let's say pinterest or instagram or there's actually later ones than that a lot of times it's totally inappropriate because that's not where your target that's not the target market of how they digest information where you want to be is where your consumers digesting the information and we got three big buying powers to baby boomers and x and y which people call the millennials but they actually are thinking differently and they take in information differently in different media so a lot of times i tell my clients yeah you're spreading yourself too thin you're in a channel that that's not where your buyers are at those are where you know those aren't your buyers so you're wasting money so absolutely you could spread yourself too thin but the bigger question to ask is that media the most appropriate media you should be at based on your target market? Yeah, so I find this a lot. For example, in our industry, it's you know a creative industry, it's an artist industry. So a lot of us hang out together and share our work, etc., on Instagram. But you know, when I'm coaching salons, I'll often say, "But is that you know?" Because they're doing so much work on Instagram and they're getting seen in the industry, etc. But they want these professional corporate clients, and it's like, "Are you on LinkedIn?" No, you know, and. It, so there's definitely you've got to be in the right place then for your ideal avatar of who you want to attract. Is that right? Absolutely. So basically what they're doing is that they're fishing in the wrong water holes. Yes. So they're getting <laughs> seen, but they're not they're getting seen and that's that's a strategy in itself, which is fine that you're getting seen in your industry and you want to get known in your industry, but not to get that mixed up with client attraction exactly the question becomes exactly and the question becomes are you actually creating a close ratio of who you ultimately want you know in your space and so that means your direct customers you know it's one thing to pump up your credibility in your mm -hmm. industry which is a b2b play but when it, it's another thing when it comes to getting customers so you could actually increase your revenue yes okay good okay, okay. So I have a few questions from people, a few quick fire ones, because um, I, I could sit and listen to it all day. Um, I'm sure everyone, uh, we're getting comments here. Everyone's really, really enjoying it. But um, I know that you have to get off. And so um, a few things. One, uh, Louise asked, can you use similar colors? So, for example, um, I think her colors that she was looking to use were like a hot pink, a red and an orange. So they're all very kind of juicy warm colors are they okay to use together or are they too similar i would consider looking at which one's going to be dominant like which out of those color palette is it going to be the hot pink or green what's going to take more volume in other words because then it becomes more dominant in the mind of the consumer okay and then which one's going to be secondary and then which one's going to be treasury meaning third that's the way i would look at it now the reason for this is because again you want to be able to differentiate in the mind of the consumer and you want to make it simple the simpler you are with your identity the more memorable you become and the more faster to instant recall uh, you see that it's yeah. all done with a lot of psychology and it's, it has to do with how fast can we process something and recall that and because we, we're bombarded with millions of messages a day right mm. so, the simplest ones always hang in the mind and the heart longer. Okay. And Lucy asked, um, 
some key, some sort of quick key pointers. If you really want to stand out um, in your field and be the best in your field, what are some key pointers for that? I know you've already given us some anyway, but anything else that we've missed out that you can share with Lucy? Yeah, with Lucy, if you really want to stand out, you need to think about what truly you could differentiate and what can be consistent with with that differentiation. The other key component to this is what can you promise your customers that others can't promise? It's not an easy answer to come up with, but it's an important one. And it might be, again, in something in your process. I'm just making this up. Like, you know, you can make someone look like a celebrity in like 30, 30 minutes versus four hours, right? That would be pretty, that would be a disruptor. And that would, you know, let's say the hair, right? Because it takes a while to do the hair, right? But there's some technique that you use that you've created that allows it to be done in 30 minutes that then you could promise that they're going to save time working with you and get the same, if not better results, okay? So that's what I mean by a promise. What can you promise in your process or the way you do something? Or, you know, it could be a combination of materials or products that you use. But what is what are you promising the customer that's important to him or her? What are you promising that's important to him or her? A haircut that lasts for three months? Awesome. Okay. A perm that lasts twice as long? Great. Product that has no animal testing throughout your entire salon? Awesome. Something like that. Okay. And is that your, you mentioned before, unique, you call it unique buying proposition. Right. Is that that? Yeah, exactly. Unique, but well, promise and unique buying proposition is slightly different. So we created what's called a unique buying proposition because a unique selling proposition, you don't want to sell to your customers. You want them to buy from you. So what are you doing uniquely, but what is the proposition around that? It's a little, slightly different than the brand promise. The promise is what you're going to promise, okay? The value proposition is what are you going to propose, okay? okay. So it's kind of like the open end, the open introduction, and then the, being, a value, being a buying proposition, and then, and then the close end, what are you going to promise them, okay? Okay, I'm just going to leave you with one question before I ask how everyone can get in touch with you. But um, what are the common, the most common mistakes that you find that small business owners, like a salon owner, for example, what are the, the the most common mistakes that they make? The first one, they're thinking too small. Mm. Okay, we've created companies that blown up because their vision was too small, or they didn't have a vision to begin with. Quite honestly. So they're thinking too small. They think, oh, it's just me. Oh, I just do this. Oh, I've always done it this way. So they're not really rethinking what's possible from the actual potential. Does that make sense? Oh, I love that. Yes, that absolutely yeah. makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so they're doing business as usual, but there's a way of looking at it differently that wouldn't be business as usual. Okay. So that's the first thing is that they're thinking, they're thinking too small. The second point is that there's so many gems that a company has that they don't know which ones to polish, okay? Which coals to polish as diamonds, okay? The third is that they hire the wrong people constantly. 
They're hiring graphic designers, advertising people. They're saying, or web designers, they're saying they do branding. They don't. They do parts of a brand. Yeah. Branding is really looking at the totality of how all the parts work together. The fourth thing is that they're trying to brand themselves. Okay. So that limits the growth as well. Okay. And then the fifth thing is they're not thinking strategically from the standpoint of their business model, all the different ways they can make money. Yeah. As right. you mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so just, those are just five things that with any small business owner is stuck in a realm and they need to bust out of that realm so they could actually see a much bigger circle to work in. Okay. Okay, Howard, how can these guys, my dead eyes, how can they contact you? How can they reach out? Where will they find you? Okay, the word they could find me is, and what I'm going to offer, like what I did with John, okay? I'll right. offer a free 20 minute consultation and you email me. Would it work if I put in the email here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so they email me at howard at howcreative.com and say you want a 20 minute consultation and my um, assistant will arrange, okay, for a, a meeting through Zoom. I love Zoom. So we'll figure out the difference, you know, in different countries and all that good stuff. Uh, but the point being is that I like, I like the interaction with Zoom. Okay. If you don't have a Zoom, then we'll use WhatsApp or what have you. Yeah. So that's Howard, that's Howard, Howard, H-O-W-H-R-D, H-R-D, at how, H-O-W, creative.com. Howard, how, creative.com. And just put it in a subject line. You want your 20, 20 minute free consultation. And then we'll talk about your company, where you're at, where you want to head. And then I can give you advice. Howard, thank you so much for joining us all the way from California. Everyone's saying it was amazing. Thank you so much. If, um, yeah, great feedback here, all saying excellent. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Howard at, here we go, we've got it up now. Howard at howcreative.com. And thank you so much for the, the 20 minute call for all my guys, that's wonderful. I've had it guys, it was phenomenal. You'll be blown away. <laughs> I just came straight off it going, Oh my God, I've got work to do. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. yeah, send me the link too and I'll broadcast it through my channels. Yeah, will do. Okay, thanks so much. All thanks right. Take care. Bye bye, guys.